Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Spend the whole show today with Darko Trashdown. Uh, he's the artistic director of the Hartford Stage. He's got an amazing version of Kiss Me Kate up right now uh, at Hartford Stage. It'll run through the middle of June, through June 14th. Um, in recent years, it's been a quiet time. All he's done is win a Tony and an OB just a, a few weeks ago uh, and run uh, a terrific regional theater. Uh, so uh, I've never really. I feel like you know you've been here qu- quite a few years. Twenty eleven, it was announced. All right, right? Is yeah. that when you? Yeah. yeah. But I feel like I've never had a, a protracted conversation with you, so I'm really looking forward to this. I've been enjoying your work so much. Um, we'll talk a little Thank bit. About, you. We'll talk a little bit about your life too. But let's start with Kiss Me Kate. So um, this is a really interesting property. This Cole Porter musical from what nineteen forty eight, right? Yeah, yeah. forty eight. So. Um, this you, you've done the original musical, uh, the Tony-winning original musical, uh, *Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder*. Uh, this is your first musical revival, I think, at Hartford Stage, right? At Hartford Stage, yeah. 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 So why'd you pick it? Uh, you know, Cole Porter is my favorite songwriter, and I think he's America's greatest musical theater songwriter. He wrote his own music and his own lyrics, mm-hmm. and it's what I like to listen to in the shower. You know, it's my it's my favorite thing. I I just love his lyrics, and um, so um, and I started thinking about this show twenty five years ago in a completely new way. So it's only taken me twenty five <laughs> years, but uh, there was that album Red Hot and Blue that came out um, where um, artists like David Byrne and Sinead O'Connor and um, you know, Fine Young Cannibals, they reinterpreted Cole Porter's songs. Mm-hmm. And it was a wonderful album, and it meant a lot to me at the time. Um, and uh, so I started thinking about doing Kiss Me Kate. So we're not doing an 80s, 90s techno version of Kiss Me Kate. That's not what we're doing. No, no, no. But, uh, but, uh, but that's when I really started thinking about it. And then it seemed like a natural match because, you know, I've directed 25 Shakespeare plays. So, And one of the few Shakespeare plays that I absolutely don't want to do mm-hmm. is The Taming of the Shrew. So I have huge problems with Taming of the Shrew, but I don't have problems with Kiss Me, Kate. Well, I want to talk about that. And first of all, we should say that so that for those of you who have never seen Kiss Me, Mm -hmm. Kate, so this is a musical that's kind of functioning in two different levels. It is the proverbial play within a play. So you have a musical about actors uh, uh, and uh, a director actor uh, who is staging uh, uh, Taming of the the Shrew, although it's pretty clear that Mm -hmm. this version that they're going to do is going to be taking liberties with Taming of the Shrew. Uh, And then, so that's sitting within the musical, which Mm -hmm. is Kiss Me Kate. Kiss Me Kate is the musical about uh, the fact that uh, there's a mistaken identity, there's Mm -hmm. some thugs who are showing up to collect a debt, there are some romances that are going on and off the rocks. You've got two different plays, and Porter also, Mm -hmm. impressively, is writing in two different musical styles. He's writing in kind of an almost light opera style mm-hmm. for the stuff that's within the Shakespearean part of it and then yeah. writing yeah. somewhere between Guys and Dolls and West Side Story for yeah. the you yeah. know the other well, part. Well, the operetta part is Wunderbar, that yeah. number that's the leads remembering their youth mm-hmm. and they rekindle their relationship through Wunderbar. 
Um, and then Shakespearean numbers have this faux Renaissance feel, but it's almost a joke because very quickly it turns kind of into 1948, 1950, um, Apache dance numbers, you know, suitable for Jack Cole-style choreography. Um, and then, you know, there are the numbers, I think very influ influential numbers like Too Darn Hot, where you can hear, you know, West Side Story a decade before there was a West Side Story. Mm. So, As yeah. a little boy, I knew Jack Cole. Did uh, you? I did, actually. Amazing. Yeah, yeah he directed, Amazing. Uh, directed a show that my father wrote. Yeah. Um, so, um, mm -hmm. you know, you say you don't want to do uh, Taming of the Shrew. It's the one Shakespeare play you don't want to. I'm assuming yeah. because of the sexual politics of the play, they just kind of don't translate very well. Well, you know what's interesting is I've directed The Merchant of Venice twice, mm -hmm. and after horrible things happen to Shylock, you can play that last act in a very bittersweet, harsh way. Mm -hmm. But something about Kiss Me Kate, you know, um, it seems to me that it's uh, – not Kiss Me Kate, The Taming of the Shrew. It mm -hmm. seems to me that it's supposed to provoke laughter and cause pleasure to the very end of the play, mm -hmm. which is kind of about this zombification of a strong woman. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I can't stand that. And you really don't have to deal with that in Kiss Me Kate as much because um, Lily Vanessi is a strong character through to the very end, you know. And um, both the men and the women in the show, I mean, they're not exactly role models. Mm -hmm. You know, they lie and they cheat, they sleep around and everything is forgiven. But the playing field is much more even. You know? Although you're still struggling a little bit. In 2015, I think, mm. I mean, I didn't, I mean, I love mm. this production, but you're still struggling with humor that comes from a man mm. raising his hand to a woman, right? I mean, you, you have a man striking a woman, hitting her hard enough so that she can't comfortably sit down afterwards. Well, you see, what's interesting is if you look at the production, mm. she beats him about 10 times as much. <laughs> and she's little, like yeah. Anastasia in our production, Anastasia Barzi, wonderful actress. She's small, and that was the reason why the man gets a pummeling. Mm -hmm. So uh, she grabs his crotch and smacks him in the, you know, in the mm -hmm. belly and pokes his eye out and stuff. So we did that very carefully. So actually, I know people always go like, oh, it's a man beating a woman. It's just actually that's not exactly what's going on stage. We made sure that uh, she's the much more violent one. And in fact, it's in the script that mm -hmm. she's the one with the, the bad temper. You grew up in the former Yugoslavia, I think what's now Serbia, right? Mm, yeah, I, I was born in Belgrade mm -hmm. and uh, the families from all, all over the country. Did you yeah. grew, grow up with an awareness of American musical comedy? Yeah, pretty early. I have no idea why, but um, this is really funny, but they showed some MGM musicals mm -hmm. in uh, in uh, Yugoslavia. And usually that was not, you know, communist television. That's not right. what they showed. But, I, but it's funny because I saw these MGM movies and I got to the United States and I heard that there was this one great musical, film musical, The Sound of Music. Mm -hmm. And so I was watching it, and I'm expecting the glamorous leading lady. And, you know, mm -hmm. there's this, like, nun and flat shoes and a bad haircut. And then, you know, halfway through the movie, you meet the baroness. And finally, I was like, oh, well, this is the leading lady. So I couldn't believe it <laughs> when he ended up with a nun with a bad haircut. You yeah. know, my mind was so weaned on uh, the MGM musicals, I, I couldn't even process it. <laughs> Is there – I mean, I feel as though the American musical comedy is a kind of genre that exists only here. I mean, obviously yeah. there's a British counterpart to it. But I feel like this is a, a thing that sits um, all by itself. American musical comedy, it's – I think it's America's greatest uh, con contribution to theater. It's a specifically American contribution, you know, 
later on the Brits come in um, with, you know, um, Phantom and the 80s, you know, British musicals. But, you know, I think they're much more devoid of personality. Mm -hmm. Um, I frankly prefer. And what I love about American musical theater is that it was a triumph of personality. Mm -hmm. You know, Ethel Merman, Carol Channing, Mary Martin... Um, and many men, you know, that uh, it was very much the success of American musical theater was connected to very idiosyncratic personalities, which is why I prefer it. Also, I mean, the, the theater of that mm-hmm. time was the popular music to a, to a great yeah. degree of that time. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. in 1948, I'm assuming, I mean, the way mm-hmm. that this works in 1948, yeah. I'm assuming, or 49 maybe, it, maybe mm-hmm. it took that long, Too Darn Hot was probably something of a hit. In other words, some of the yeah. songs or pretty this musical. soon, yeah. or pretty soon, yeah. yeah. The, you know, what's interesting about my career is actually I was discovered by March Champion, hmm. and she... Um, you know, she had the Walt Disney career. Mm-hmm. Uh, he drew her as Snow White. And then she and her husband, Gower, they had the MGM career. They mm-hmm. were kind of the Fred and the Ginger of that, like, 40s, 50s MGM era. And she told me that one night they were watching TV, Ed Sullivan and Elvis Presley um, was on TV. Mm-hmm. And she says she turned to her husband and she said, it's over. We're moving to New York. Mm-hmm. Our way of life is done. <laughs> so she was like, and then, you know, they moved to New York. And she says that things changed after that. With this musical, with Kiss Me, Kate, how much there, – there are things that mm-hmm. I sense that you've added and messed around. For example, I don't want to wreck anything, mm-hmm. but there's – there's kind of a Second Amendment right to bear arms joke in there, which I i don't think is in the original script. Did you play around with some things? You know what? I actually didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't add any of the lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, you know Within the Shakespeare's text, yeah. I've reorganized it slightly, but mm-hmm. it's completely organized anyhow. Mm-hmm. You know, That's not the order yeah. of scenes in The Taming of the Shrew. Within the actual book, my understanding is that for the 99 Broadway revival is, from what I've heard, He's not credited, but John Guare huh. uh, adapted those scenes with a uh, with a general. Mm-hmm. If that's what you're referring to, so yeah. that line, uh, so a few of those lines, I think they may be Guare's contribution. Right, um, but it's very smart, and the audience reacts, and it's kind of torn from the headlines, isn't it? Yeah, so, it is totally yeah. torn from the headlines. Yeah. Um, the, uh, well, another aspect to this, too, and I don't know how true this is with Kiss Me, Kate, but we know with Cole Porter that there, there sometimes are sort of parallel versions of the lyrics that, that, um, that Porter would write mm-hmm. sort of the G or PG rated version of the lyric, but there would also be an R mm-hmm. or even X rated version of the lyric. And I, I was listening mm-hmm. in the show. I thought I caught one. I thought I caught one that, that it maybe is mm-hmm. popularly recorded in a slightly more PG version. Did, did that show up at all? Were there different no, versions of the lyrics? No, yeah. it didn't. We yeah. did the... The R-rated one, I assume. Yeah, you did you the know, R-rated one. But, yeah. uh, but what's interesting about it is in that way, the marriage of Cole Porter and William Shakespeare is perfect. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I could teach Shakespeare in high schools because when you go through some of his speeches and monologues, it, you know, he's the raunchiest stage writer of all time. Cole Porter may be a second. So it's this wonderful combination of sophistication and uh, and raunchiness, you know, that both of them have. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll tell you during the break what, which one I think uh, got changed. But it's in mm-hmm. um, I'm, well, at least well, I'll tell you right now. It's mm-hmm. in uh, I'm always true to you in my fashion. Mm-hmm. I, I think some people, I think you do it. There's an oil man mm-hmm. known as Tex who is keen to write me checks, mm-hmm. but the 
the checks I fear means mm, the, the sex, sex is here to stay. stay. See, I think I think when people have recorded mm-hmm. it for pop sure. for radio, oh, yes. they don't they take the word sex out and they put text back in for the second yeah, yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. it, uh, it that's that's a, the kind of thing. That I I'm, forgot that they did that. Yeah, yeah. in many popular recordings. The yeah. um, uh, the people who are I, th- I think it's in the program uh, there at Harvard Stage that um, there was some thought initially. Uh, among the producers of this show when it was first being conceived, mm-hmm. not to use Cole Porter. He kind of had been through... Can uh, you imagine? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. He, uh, after his accident that left him crippled for the rest of his life mm-hmm. and kind of a recluse and in chronic pain, he uh, he had some commercially successful musicals, but they didn't produce his best music, most memorable songs. So for 10 years... Um, you know, he had kind of fallen out of favor, and then Kiss Me Kate was a huge comeback and his biggest success. That was uh, the first musical to win the Tony Award, and it was his longest run on Broadway. Um, you know, you for the most part, you work with, I mean, for the most part, you direct plays that are not musicals. Um, is is there a big difference in the skill set? I mean, do you basically are are you basically doing the same thing but with a little music added, or do you have to think differently about casting, about you know, about everything? Well, you know, I direct Shakespeare plays, contemporary plays, operas, mm-hmm. musicals, and what makes a great actor in each one of those genres is slightly different. Mm-hmm. You know, and with musical theater, with a piece like this. Um, it's actually very difficult singing technically. Mm-hmm. The ranges in some of the songs are extraordinary. Yeah. Anastasia and Mike have some very, very difficult passages, I think, vocally. And then, you know, on top of that, great musical theater actors have to be able to communicate the lyrics, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a, that's a separate skill. So, the so, ability to yeah. hit the notes. Right. So in love is a very tough song. And, yeah. And I noticed for her, yeah. she's sort of in a coloratura range at yeah. one point and then yeah. in a belt voice yeah. range yeah. at another that's, point. That's one of the trickiest. I mean, I directed that show at Goodspeed, City of Angels, mm-hmm. and there's a song in that. That's the only thing I can compare it to that's very, very difficult. The, there's a torch song in that that's really tough. It's that belt and soprano mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. You're... Your plays, I mean, uh, every single play that I've ever seen that you've directed has this, these incredible visual signatures to them. And, and, I mean, the way that art design is pulled together, the way that set design is pulled together, it's really astonishing. And, and, and in this, this show has one of your trademarks, which is that set pieces change so fast. I mean, the entire stage is reconfigured in the blink of an eye from one thing to another. Yeah, yeah and it's, uh, it's designed to give pleasure and tech was – you know, it's just, it can get so unpleasant and demoralizing. You know, it's so difficult because you build this beautiful thing in rehearsal mm-hmm. and you get to tech rehearsals. And until you get to the other side, which is what you're describing, it's brutal getting yeah. there because you have to try it again and again and something malfunctions. And then, you know, you go through pages very quickly and then you get to a transition and everything grinds to a halt, you know. So so that's the irony about musicals is, you know, they're populist entertainment by and large. They're designed to give pleasure, but working on them can at times be very stressful. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, I mean, yeah. have you ever seen the movie Topsy-Turvy? Uh, yes. It, it might yes. Be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, yeah, that's yeah. part of the message of that movie, right? That mm-hmm. what what's more... Uh, joyous than a Gilbert and Sullivan musical, right? That's yeah. it's just a, the, the, it has no other function really than yeah. to make people happy. Mm-hmm. And you just look at everybody, and there's such stress cases. Mm-hmm. And there's oh, that yeah. kind of montage at the end where yeah. you can see they are yeah. all absolutely at the end of their yeah. wits. Yeah. Making people happy in theater is uh, <laughs> it can be brutal. <laughs> um, Getting there, 
the I also I also wondered watching this. I was watching it. Well, first of all, I have to tell you that I was there on Tuesday night. You may remember what happened on Tuesday night. I missed it, fortunately. Oh. It would have shortened my life. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, this is the second time I've had this happen in Hartford in the last two and a half years. So yeah. at the beginning of the show on Tuesday night, there is fog. or mm-hmm. um, There's some, some amb- ambiance. Yeah, yeah. I would call it fog, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and it, it tripped out the fire alarms. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Everybody looked around. First of all, I hear this kind of, you know, buzzing, humming, wailing, mm-hmm. and I think, wow, Darko's really pulling out all the stops here. This is really interesting. Sorry, so, no. You know, <laughs> then it turns out we have to clear the theater, so the fire department. Mm-hmm. This happened uh, at the Bushnell with Peter and the Starcatcher. I was in the audience yeah. that night. Yeah, yeah. We were out in the street for 25 minutes. This was very yeah. quick, very, very quick turnaround. But um, yeah. Well, it was interesting because we found out the next day that it definitely wasn't the hazers. It's not. You know, that it wasn't that. So we did all the testing and everything. And uh, there, the at the top stairway, there was a malfunctioning, whatever that thing is, mm-hmm. you know, in the hallway behind the theater. Either Some, that or somebody was smoking near the garage, so we had to replace the equipment and stuff. So, wow. believe me, I was on it yeah. right away. I was like, <laughs> figure it out. Right. It, it happened about yeah. two thirds of the way through the overture, so it wasn't yeah. too hard. To, I yeah, mean, yeah. in terms of energy, it may have been difficult for the cast to reset and begin mm-hmm. again, but not noticeably yeah. hard. Well, what I heard, I wasn't there. You were there, but I heard that, you know, the first line of the show is another, another opening, opening, and I heard yeah. that when they started again, the crowd appreciated right. it. It's he like, he even know. dragged that out in a slightly, you know, dramatically oh. weary way. Oh, good opening. for him. Smart yeah. man. Yeah. yeah, no, he yeah. actually, I think he, Wayne, mil- he milked wonderful. it. He milked it for that little extra laugh. Is, you know, I was looking, since I got to watch the overture twice, yeah. um, I was also thinking, I don't know, it made me wonder what you think of this play overall because um, it it obviously is a joyous uh, thing. It is a wonderful little slice uh, of perfect, you know, sweet cake. But I was even noticing the light cues and stuff at the beginning. There's a little bit of darkness that you play with too. I, I don't know. Do you? I mean, it's not this big Ann Miller Technicolor thing that you're doing. You know, there is sort of a this way in which at times the lights are a little bit muted and stuff like that. I mean, is is there a little bit of the darkness in the play that that? Well, that sentiment and I love mm. the way Wayne, uh, um, who uh, who plays Pops, sings that opening line. Another opening another show because mm-hmm. there's a weariness to it. Yeah. You know, theater it takes its right. toll. And in the beginning, the idea of the first 60 seconds was to kind of create a ghostly feeling mm-hmm. of a theater. Right. You know, and then um, coming to life. And then it bursts into life. Yeah. But, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, that was the, yeah, uh, I wondered, that's the idea. wondered if I was reading that's that right. right. All right. So we're going to move on to some mm-hmm. other topics here. We're talking uh, to Darko Treshnik. Uh, he is the artistic director of the Hartford Stage Company. He is indeed st- uh, staging Kiss Me Kate right now. Uh, I don't think we should say too much more about it. You should go to it. I mean, I, w- I would say this if you weren't here. I will say it on a day that you're not here. There's sort of no excuse for empty seats in the Hartford Stage on this. This is like so much fun. Uh, and you will be depriving yourself unnecessarily if you miss this. So anyway, let's uh, take a quick break. We'll come back with more of Darko. When I'm close to you, dear, the stars fill the sky, so in love with you am I. We're back. We're with uh, Darko Treznik, artistic director of the Hartford Stage Company. I'm going to just quickly say also that um, we're doing this kind of roughly a week before you're hearing it, so don't call in. Well, you can call in, but no one will answer the phone. Uh, otherwise, we'd be delighted to take phone calls and, and hear from you. So um, 
I just I do want to just sort of get to know you a little bit more. So as uh, a boy growing up in Eastern Europe, I mean, was it did you we talked about you maybe loving some of those MGM musicals mm-hmm. that came over in movie form. But were you kind of pointed in this direction the whole way? Were you a theatrical kid? Were you did everybody know you were going to be in the theater someday? No, and yes. I mean, my family, I don't come from a theater background, but uh, I think I directed my first show when I was seven years old um, (laughs) because I saw the Olympics on TV opening ceremonies, and then I – it's become a famous story, actually. (laughs) And then I organized all the kids, and we cut cardboard medals, and I organized games like long-distance spitting, and we even lit the torch on the corner of my grandmother's house, which she was not happy with. But uh, that was my first epic production, and – and then later on, this thing happened. We had two American Fulbright students living with us, and um, they started buying me all these American toys. Like I was the only kid in Yugoslavia, in, in Belgrade, with a pogo stick. Mm-hmm. So if people wanted to play with my toys, they had to be in my shows. So <laughs> toys are power, you know. So I, so I started, I guess I started directing um, pretty early. And then in college, at Swarthmore College, I did some acting Mm-hmm. And I quickly realized that I was a nightmare uh, to work with <laughs> because I just wanted to take over, mm-hmm. and I was constantly finding flaws. Mm-hmm. So I realized that um, I was on the wrong side. So um, so pretty quickly, um, you know. And at Swarthmore, I started doing plays like Skin of Our Teeth, uh, The Skin of Our Teeth, mm-hmm. and The Visit with 20 or 30 people. And um, I didn't know that you were supposed to start with two, three actors. So <laughs> I never learned that lesson. Yeah. When uh, what was your first Shakespeare? When did you first direct? Uh, in grad school, um, I was going through a really tough time. Um, I went through a kind of a bad breakup, and uh, I didn't want to do it. I wouldn't, didn't want to have anything to do with directing Shakespeare. Oddly enough, because mm-hmm. um, it's not my first language, mm-hmm. and I knew I could understand it, but I wasn't sure if I could feel it. And um, like a native speaker, and then I read The Winter's Tale. And uh, it's one of his great plays. Um, I think theater people really love The Winter's Tale, maybe mm. more than the general public. But uh, it's all of life's tragedy and comedy rolled into one play. It's one of his most ambitious plays. And it just kind of spoke to me. And I directed it for my graduate thesis. And I got an agent out of it completely by accident. This man... Um, his his wife was an opera singer I knew, and he showed up, and he loved it, and he signed me on. And before I even graduated um, from Columbia, I kind of started uh, directing operas and plays. And uh, so I owe Shakespeare a lot, you know, but that was the first. <laughs> and it's still one of my favorite plays. So the yeah. When you direct Shakespeare, um, mm-hmm. there's such an incredible specific visual signature on what you're doing. I mean, it's now, for those of us who've mm-hmm. started to get used to your uh, directing and to, to enjoy it. I mean, the thing, the first thing we look forward to is just walking in and thinking, seeing, okay, what what kind of canvas is he painting on this time? And when you did The Tempest, it didn't look like any other Tempest I ever saw, you know, and it was it was so striking that, you know, I won't ever forget it. And, and, and I would say the same thing with Twelfth Night. I would say the same thing with Hamlet that you have. Do you start there? Do you sort of think this, it's going to look like this and then I'll start figuring out other stuff? You know, not at all. Um, what's interesting is that, you know, I'm, happy and I'm flattered when people talk about the visual, mm-hmm. you know, information in my productions. And uh, I work with some great designers, mm-hmm. you know, and I share all of that credit with them. 
Um, but the other thing is everything comes from the text, you know, mm-hmm. so that uh, everything comes from the relationship to the text, reading things very, very carefully. And I think, um, you know, like, and, and sometimes it is very personal. I mean, uh, with The Tempest, there were those bookcases that were actually rock climbing walls. Mm-hmm. And a few years before, I kind of went through a tough time and I didn't want to direct. I took six months off and I joined a rock climbing gym. Mm-hmm. And the more I rock climbed, the more I thought about the potential of vertical space. And I was like, I'm going to use this when I get back to directing. And the first Shakespeare play after that was The Tempest. And there were those rock climbing spirits, you know, climbing the bookcases, Prospero's bookcases. So so sometimes it is very personal. But I would like to think that it always starts with a text. So. I think I visited you on the set of The Tempest, and you said that you'd also done mm. some aerial work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, this, yeah. This, this thing kind of had um, aer- aerialists in it. If, if, I, if I had in- started doing that earlier in my life, maybe maybe I would be doing that instead of directing because I love it. Yeah. I, I do love it. So I do as much as I can at my age. So. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times now going through a tough time. Are you a moody person? Do you yes. Yeah, you have, yeah, you have yeah, moods? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Incredible mood swings. But, um, you know, theater, um, the wonderful thing about theater and the wonderful thing about directing is that, um, you know, a group of people get together mm-hmm. and they put their best foot forward on a daily basis. And at the end of that, a group of, you know, a group of individuals have collaborated on a work of art that takes place, you know, in a specific time and space. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. Every play or musical or opera that comes together, it's a small miracle. It's a mm-hmm. very hopeful way to live, very positive. So um, so often, you know, if I'm having a tough time, just working makes me happy. So. The um, I, I find myself, I feel like I have a pretty busy life, but I don't, I can't imagine what your life is like. I mean, just First of all, looking at a play like Kiss Me, Kate, the number of moving parts, sometimes physical, actual moving parts, but then all the other sort of artistic moving parts underneath this, it just seems like a million different decisions and uh, therefore a million things that can go wrong and things that just need to be solved. I mean, I just assume this is like that you're putting in 20-hour days and jumping from – do you have any downtime? Not not recently, not at all, no, actually. Yeah, and it's been uh, since last year, since the Tonys, you know, I'm getting many offers. That's just, you know, that's not boasting. I'm just being honest. So it's it's my time to work very hard. Mm -hmm. But but I have, you know, I have a wonderful home with my husband, Josh, and our dog, Hector. So that's, uh, so that I, you know, I'm much more domestic than people think. So that if I have time away, Mm -hmm. I like to be at home Mm -hmm. and I like to cook. Uh, we both like to cook, you know. Is, so. H- is Hector another bulldog? He had a bulldog at one point, right? Yeah. Uh, we had an English bulldog, and yeah. Hector is a French bulldog. So, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so uh, you're going to do Romeo and Juliet next, right? I mean, yeah. among Shakespeare plays. That's sure, the yes. thing in that yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I want to go back to something that you said because I think mm-hmm. it's really important, which is that the, you start with the text and you stay with the text. Mm-hmm. And I think that was especially true of your Hamlet. Everybody who does Hamlet – feels like, well, I've got to put some kind of gloss on it, right? I've got to have it take mm-hmm. place in Nazi Germany, or it's got to be, yeah, you know. And sure. and of the Hamlets that I've seen, mm-hmm. this is the one where, I think I said to you afterwards, mm-hmm. what I was reminded of is that this is a ripping good yarn. This is mm-hmm. just a really good story. Yeah. Uh, you don't really actually have to 
you know, set mm-hmm. it in Washington, D.C. or something like no. that. It's just a really good story mm-hmm. if you could just sort of get over all that. So Romeo and Juliet, you have a little bit of the same problem, right? It's been done a lot, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of times. Um, and, and a lot of people put different glosses on it. And Boz Lerman sets it in, sure. you know, in L.A. with guns and stuff like that. What, what Are you just going to, once again, just go right back to the text and say, what is this story? Sure. And when I go back to the text, it doesn't mean that it's going to be a you know, an Elizabethan production. I have right. no idea yet because uh, I have three productions between <laughs> between uh, when I, w- w- from now and when I start directing Romeo and Juliet. But, uh, but, you know, what's interesting about Romeo and Juliet is that it's a fairly early play. Mm-hmm. And I call it the Carmen of Shakespeare plays. You know, Carmen, the opera, has some very famous parts. Mm-hmm. And then you have to get through some really tricky plotting. And that's the same thing with Romeo and Juliet. It's actually not his most perfect plot. It's a work of a young playwright. So I've been struggling with that for a long time. So we'll see where we land. You know, Juliet has some famous monologues. Mm -hmm. There are terrific scenes with Romeo and Mercutio. There's some very tricky things to figure out. So I'm still struggling with it. I think the other question, I mean, have you answered the question? I Mm -hmm. I struggle with this a lot. And I think I've had some arguments with Mm -hmm. your friend Humphrey Tonkin about this a few times, too. I'm not even sure exactly I understand. I, I, mm. The decision that I made about Romeo and Juliet is that to some degree it's about adolescent sexuality and that mm. the sense that once it's kindled, mm-hmm. it, it's a very difficult thing to rein in and it freaks adults out, you know, mm. that these people, they're in love, yeah. their hormones are jacked up, they're, they're a little, probably a little bit more mm. violent because of that. They're just these wild, out of control mm. things going on and at the level of Montague and Capulet mm. elders, it's just they're wrong and they're just out mm. of control and what are we going to do about them? But I'm not really sure that's necessarily Shakespeare's take that Romeo and Juliet are wrong. Yeah, I mean, what's what's interesting is um, it's called Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. and we think about the play in terms of those two characters, but their story only makes sense in relation to, to the community that surrounds them. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've been thinking about a great, great deal. Like, who are the Capulets? Who are mm-hmm. the Montagues? You know, those first few lines in Fair Verona, how fair is Verona? Is it an ironic statement? Mm-hmm. And not everything that Shakespeare has set has to be taken at face value. And then the other thing, you know, Jack O'Brien one of my mentors, you know, he said something, you know, just because it's called Romeo and Juliet, it doesn't mean that they're really central to the mm. lives of the rest of that community. Right. You could actually say that they're marginalized, you know, they're important because they take center stage for us, the audience, the place that they take, how they're treated by the rest of the community could be quite different. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what's on my mind lately. Yeah. The last Juliet at Hartford mm. stage was Callista Flockhart. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That was a very, you know how some actors spray a little bit more when they're speaking. That mm-hmm. had, had had a lot of sprayers in it. That particular cast, you know, mm-hmm. I felt like they should give ponchos or something to the people in the first three mm-hmm. or four roles. Everybody's on their oh, s's. That kind and, of spray, yeah, those yeah. kind of s's and yeah. p's and stuff like that. Yeah. They were just there was a lot yeah. of saliva in the air. Um, <laughs> Yeah. It, was, it was a damp production of Romeo yeah. and Juliet. Yeah. Oh, we're talking to Darko Treznik right now. Well, if you go to Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, yeah. you know, it's a sweaty production because if you're in the front row, you get pelted because those two guys, there's like sweat pouring off, off them. So it's yeah. not exactly the same thing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember getting damp uh, at that <laughs> yeah. one. Um, so um, we're talking to Darko Treznik. Um, the um, well, you know, well, I, since you just mentioned Gentleman's Guide, I, I – I, I wonder if there was a gentleman's guide joke in Kiss Me, Kate, and that is those two 
doors. There's a there are doors in the dressing room that kind of face each other. Yeah. And yeah. and of course the I probably the most famous the iconic scene if there is one in Gentleman's Guide involves those two sets of doors. W- were you having a little joke about yourself in, in designing it that way or do no, you, you know, just like doors? That, that's actually how it's done traditionally in Kiss yeah. Me Kate, so it's just kind of a sheer coincidence. But uh but I was wondering if people would think about that and expect me to top myself, you know, from <laughs> Gentleman's Guide, which Kiss Me Kate does not give you the opportunity to do. But there is that one scene where I crowded Right, nineteen bodies inside of that little dressing room, which is a nod to Marx Brothers. Uh, I, so. I, was, I thought it might be Marx Brothers. <laughs> oh, completely. Yeah, the state room. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. All right. So yeah, we're going to take a little break here. We, we'll be back for one last segment talking to Darko Treznik. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the things that are coming up in his life, including Hitchcock on the stage. After this. Rush up your Shakespeare. Start quoting him now. Wait, they're doing Rear Window at Hartford Stage? Can I take you to dinner? Can I take you to dinner? I don't really do Jimmy Stewart, do I? Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kyone Wolf. Greg Hill tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Howard Keel. For show pages, articles, and photos of the Faith Middleton Show staff and Elizabethan Jerkins, visit our website, wnpr.org slash Colin. On tomorrow's show, what it means to be Jewish. And now, back to Colin. We're back with Darko Treznik, artistic director of Hartford Stage. Uh, go see Kiss Me Kate. Uh, it runs through June 14th. Uh, and if you let it go longer than that, you're going to feel really... I mean, it really is just a great production, and I, I would say this. Were he not here, get your tickets now to this. So, um, you know, uh, Wolfie, maybe we could just play uh, a little of um, what it sounds like when Darko Treznik wins the Tony. I would like to thank my artistic home, Hartford Stage. My husband, Josh, I love you, Um, Robert and Steve, and a beautiful cast headed by Jefferson Mays, and um, I should thank so many people, but most of all, my mom literally taught me how to jump out of airplanes. She fought during the Second World War. Uh, She was a skydiver in 1940s. Uh, She's 87 years old, and she's too frail to be here tonight, so I'm going to thank her. So, mama, volim te, hvala ti za sve što si mi dala. Volim te mnogo, drži se. Thank you very much. So tell us just a little bit more about your mom. This sounds like quite a story. Who was she? Well, uh, her uh, father was a captain of a riverboat on the Danube, so, you know, she spent her youth going up and down the river, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, um, during the occupation, it basically became a floating concentration camp Mm -hmm. where there were kind of prisoners on board, and, um, you know, my grandfather would wake them all up in the middle of the night, and um, they would boil water, and they would stick it under the produce, under these uh, wire meshes, so that everything it would rot by the time it got to Germany. And um, her uh, her brother fought during the resistance. Um, and you know she's uh, she's eighty eight now. And the last time I was home, she was telling me about hiding Jewish people 
you know, and taking them to safety on the boat, hiding them under the coal and in the bottom of the boat, and her little bro- uh, and how her little brother would shake. Oh, he was so scared. Mm-hmm. So that was extraordinary enough. And then um, the after the Second World War, she was part of that generation that helped rebuild the country mm-hmm. out of the rubble, and somehow that led to working. Um, at airports, and um, she was never a part of the Communist Party, but um, I asked her that, and she wasn't, but uh, somehow she became a part of this um, you know, youth group, and she was one of the first women skydivers, parachuters at the time, when you had to jump out of the airplane without, uh, what do you call it now, tandem? Yeah. So eventually, yeah. like I knew, I was like, if my mom did it, well, I have to do it, <laughs> you know. So, uh, so I have, you know. So I, uh, so I, you know, did some skydiving, and then I called her afterwards. And it's wonderful to bond with your mom, um, you know, about skydiving. Yeah, so, I guess. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm. You should try it. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> my mother was much tamer. Uh, yeah. um, so um, that's still an amazing yeah. story. So um, the. One day you're a Tony nominee, and the next day you're a Tony winner. Um, you just alluded to it, but I mean, I assume, it, it, I mean, the, the Tony's a Tony. It's a prize. You already mm-hmm. directed a great play. You directed lots of other great plays. It didn't really change anything. Mm-hmm. But I suppose at another level, it did change everything. Oh, it changes a lot. Yeah. It changes a lot. And, uh, you know, um, uh, career-wise, it does make a huge change, and it has made a huge change this season for Hartford Stage. Mm-hmm. Our subscriptions... Um, you know, single tickets, everything is way up. Now, some of that has something to do with the work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the, it, some of it probably has something to do with Tony's, too. So, And career-wise, I am getting um, the kind of offers and meetings, you know, and I'm able to start certain projects, and I'm able to bring a lot of attention to Hartford Stage because of it. So practically, it does change things. You know, it's disingenuous it, to pretend otherwise. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, I, I, while I was watching the mm-hmm. Tonys uh, and... Uh, when you won, like everybody else in Hartford, I'm up and whooping and yelling, and, yeah, Hartford, Darko. And then I'm thinking, oh, he just won a Tony. That might not be so good in a way. Um, I mean, I, I think people are terrified that you're going to leave Hartford. Um, I mean, is this – can you make this work? I mean, given the amount of demands there are on you and the number of people who want to work with you in other places, can you make Hartford work as a home base? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, for now, absolutely. And, you know, 10, 15 years from now, I mean, who who can say, you know – Anything, but right now, you know, what I love the most about Hartford Stage is our audience, Mm -hmm. and I really mean that. Um, It's a very special relationship between the theater and its audience. And, you know, this year we did a play, Reverberation. It's as big a risk as I could take. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I had people who have been subscribing for 30, 40, 50 years saying, well, why aren't we doing more of this kind of provocative new work? Mm -hmm. And that says something really special about this community. So it's great. And, you know, when the theater w- does well and it helps the city do well, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a tactile relationship, you know. Mm-hmm. The size of the city is so great. Like in New York, I'm one of many, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I don't so much struggle with confidence. I just struggle with why. <laughs> why yeah. do I need to be here yeah. <laughs> when I'm in New York? And so I love Hartford and Hartford Stage. Well, I think the list of Hartford Stage is you can do reverberations, which has nudity mm-hmm. as yeah, yeah. And we only that. have one theater, you know. Yeah. We don't have most don't have companies stage, yeah. would go like let's put it in a hundred seat theater. Yeah. But I'm not sure that I want to do that. Like why marginalize right. something to a small space? So You can do yeah. that, but you can't do Richard Foreman. I think that's the lesson of Harvard Stage Company. You you yeah. can do you can do uh, something that has a basically linear narrative. The content is 
<laughs> don't, don't, don't put up with anything. They're yeah, no, they're, you you know, know. But you know what's interesting is we did the piece with Barishnikov a few years ago, right. and that was completely nonlinear. It was nonlinear. And I think, you know, people embraced it, you know. That was uh, because of my voice. My voice carried that production. Come on. Was it? serious about yes. it. Yeah, that's yeah, the reason probably. people like the show. Yes, yeah, probably. Yeah. That's the case. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, yeah. as you probably know famously, then they did uh, Pearls, I guess it was Pearls for Pigs, whatever it was. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they that's the one time I've seen a real rebellion in the Hartford mm-hmm. stage audience, and they had to have, you know. It's a legendary rebellion. I've missed it. It's years before I came, but yeah. I wish, you know, I could have seen what happened. Well, <laughs> it, it does seem as though, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, for any art forum, it rebellion is also kind of good as long as it doesn't financially destroy you, right? Like, mm-hmm. like visual art, museum art was mm-hmm. more exciting when there was Maplethorpe then it is – there's nothing like that now. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah. when there's lines around the block and half of the people are there mm-hmm. to protest and half the people are there because they got to yeah, get yeah. in and see it, there is something great about that. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, you know, uh, again, Jack O'Brien said be careful about giving the audiences sugar all the time because right. then they show up for sugar. You yeah. know what I mean? And then soon you change your public and then you can't do all kinds of programming that you dream of doing. So. Right. So we do have to talk about the fact that you're going to do uh, a stage adaptation of Hitchcock's Rear Window. Actually, yeah. it's Cornell Woolrich's Rear Window. So we don't have the rights to the Hitchcock movie. Right. This is based on the story. You mean the fact Cor- that I've been pr- practicing my Jimmy Stewart impersonation all afternoon is meaningless it to is you? Meaningless. Oh, right. It is meaningless. It is. I'm so sorry. I can't, I'm dying to hear it, though. <laughs> so I'm dying to hear it. But, but it's based on the story that inspired the Hitchcock movie and uh, – the story, uh, it takes place in 1940s, and the setting is a little bit more 1940s film noir, a little bit grimier, mm-hmm. a little bit sweatier. It's a little bit like a um, B-noir stage thriller is what I'm thinking about right now. Um, do you love the movie too? I love the movie. Yeah. It's a masterpiece, and there's no point in doing something exactly the same. Right, right. You so this is much more based on yeah. the original story. The thriller aspect is the same, what happens in the apartment, you know, right. and who the main character is is completely different. I have good trivia about the movie. What you you may already know yeah. it. So the guy, the piano player, the guy who's a piano player? Oh. He, he's, yeah. you know, so he's, he's, yeah, he's yeah, the, yeah. one of the guys who uh-huh. plays the piano. He, that's Ross Bagdasarian, who is, first of all, I think a first cousin of William Saroyan. Uh-huh. And... And this will be meaningful to somebody who grew up in Eastern Europe, meaningless to somebody who grew up in Eastern Europe, I'm guessing, but was the guy who created Alvin and the Chipmunks. Uh, you are right. Uh, yeah, You're so right. I have a vague notion of Alvin and the Chipmunks. Yeah. But, uh, so anyway, yes. But for yeah. people listening at home anyway, go back and watch Rear Window. The guy playing the piano is the guy who created uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks. So um, I, I know, I think it was the case that when you – first accepted at Hartford Stage, you had recently worked with F. Murray Abram on Merchant of Venice. It was yeah. Merchant of Venice. Yeah, and yeah. you said at the time you wanted to work with him again. Yeah. 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 So are you going to get him to Hartford Stage? I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. And we're talking about it. And, you know, schedules are complicated. And then finding, um, you know, a role that's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that sparks his imagination. And, uh, you know, he's one of the great actors I work with. I just had... Um, it was truly an extraordinary experience. I just mm. worked with Patti LuPone for the mm. first time, and uh, it just blew my mind. It's mm. one of the really greatest, greatest actors that I've ever worked with, you know, a classically trained actress with mm. that legendary singing voice, and she was sensational to work with. So I hope to do something with her. And I think that's the great thing about, you know, my job is I get to work with these amazing people. 
Is there a thread that connects them? Is there a quality that connects them? They all have great something. Finish that sentence. Mm -hmm. Infinite life behind the eyeballs. Yeah. You know, when you see it, that alertness behind the eyes. You know, and I think that's one of the definitions of star quality. You Mm -hmm. know, like when you're in the room with Patty, you feel that much more alive. Yeah. You know. Are there actors or possibly playwrights that you're really just dying to get to Hartford, dying to work with them here? Absolutely. And, you know, um, sometimes we commission pieces, sometimes it's revivals. Mm-hmm. I mean, Keith Rudine wrote this beautiful play called Life and Limb. Mm-hmm. And uh, I read, I saw it years ago and read it, and I've toyed with the idea of reviving it. It's one of my favorite um, American plays in recent history. Mm-hmm. Well, he happens to be the guy who adapted um, Rear Window. It's mm-hmm. his adaptation. It's filtered through his superb you know, taste and sensibility. And uh, so he's somebody. And, uh, you know, we have a commissioning program. Um, so um, there are some young playwrights whose work I really love. How, um, how about actors? Are there actors that you kind of lure here somehow? Oh, or? all the time. Yeah. You know, and the thing about it is, you know, it has to be a good match with a role. Yeah. It has to be a perfect match. And sometimes, you know, somebody tells you that they want to do something and then um, and then you do that play for them, mm-hmm. you know, so that's like a star vehicle. But it just has to be a perfect match because if it's not, then they don't succeed. The theater doesn't succeed. So it has to be a, you know, it has to be a good fit. Are you are you prepared to name names? Anybody you're trying to get? No, not yeah. yet. You know, the problem with name, uh, with, with uh, saying who's going to come, what mm-hmm. ends up happening is no, if they don't, yeah. then people are disappointed. Who you want to come? Know? Somebody you've never had a so, conversation with. Um, you, you know who I love? This is uh, uh, She actually acted at Hartford Stage in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, I love Sigourney Weaver, mm-hmm. and I just met her last year, and I said, hey, if you ever want to come back and do something, because mm-hmm. she went to this school. Went to, she, went to, she went to YDS, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 What, what is the school? Yale Drama School, right? No, she yeah. went to Yale Drama School, but she went to uh, the elementary school, the boarding school here. What is the Ethel Walker? Oh, Ethel yes, Walker. Yes, that she yeah. went there. She went, she went there. I didn't, I didn't so she's that. a local girl, you know, but uh, but I just spend, uh, you know, I spend a little bit of time in her company and I didn't act like an idiot because she's <laughs> one of the few people, there are very few people that I'm starstruck around. So yeah. I'd like to work with her. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying, what would, what, I'm trying to think what, you know, what, the, what the theatrical role is, though. That would be an interesting thing to think about. Well, you know, it's, my friend Terrence McNally just did the musical of The Visit, so it's mm. not the right play to do, but I wanted to do The Visit with Sigourney Weaver, Weaver for the longest time. So mm. something else will come along, you know. Can, can you go to New York or somewhere else and sit and watch mm. a play and not, like, and just enjoy it and not be, you know, mental, Absol- mentally directing oh, it? Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. And, you know, um, there's nothing that I love more then going up to a director afterwards and saying that's absolutely wonderful generosity you know it's uh, it's so important and you know i just saw the curious incident of dog in the nighttime mm-hmm. it's so superb it's beautiful and many of my friends some of them have acted at hartford stage or in it yeah and uh it's it's just absolutely terrific that was my f- that's my favorite thing that i've seen lately yeah yeah I saw uh, I saw both I had Octar mm. plays in New York at the same time. So I saw Disgraced on Broadway, mm. and then I went down to the New York Theater Workshop and saw Invisible Hand. That's mm. a terrific play. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he's an amazing right player. Right? Yeah, um, he's he'd be great. He uh, he just won the OB. I saw Monday. I saw yeah, that yeah, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, I think maybe at least one person of the cast yeah. of that won the OB too. Yeah. And so explain what you won. You won for a, a, an Ionesco play, right? Yeah, the 
Miller uh, with Michael Shannon. Michael is somebody I would love to bring here. He's the guy from the yeah, Boardwalk yeah. Empire and um, Superman. From, uh, yeah, and, and, yeah. And, uh, Revolutionary Road. Yes. No, that's not the movie. Yeah, yes, yes, Revolution. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah, the cra- crazy brother. Revolutionary yeah, yeah, yeah. Road. No, but he uh, he uh, introduced me to this play, The Killer, by UNESCO, and uh, it was just wonderful. It wasn't on my front burner, but it was a chance to work with him, and it turned out really good. So. He, I mean, he because so many of those so yeah. certain actors. You know, they, yeah. it's hard to imagine that he's going to be able to do Sky Masterson or something, you know, yeah. because he's all you ever really know him for are these incredibly mm-hmm. intense and usually pretty dark roles mm-hmm. where these characters will do almost any that character in Boardwalk mm-hmm. Empire. At a certain point, you realize this person will do anything. You know, there's nothing. Sure. That they can, and what was fascinating about the killer yeah. is that the character who played was like the goofy version Mm-hmm. of that character it's actually like the world's worst detective that he played <laughs> so I think you know I was wondering I never asked Michael but I was wondering if he was like parroting his role on Boardwalk Empire <laughs> if it was like some kind of emotional exorcism so he's um, is, is mm-hmm. he's I assume he's not that guy we see in, I mean I assume he's a semi-normal happy-go-lucky person or, or yeah. is that intensity yeah. just kind of always there um, well Physically, he's one of the most striking people that I've ever met, so mm-hmm. he can't help that. That's just physiognomy. You know, he, he is, like, really – it's a fascinating <laughs> face, skull. But, uh, but he uh, – you know, he's a family man and fairly quiet and actually very goofy, very, very funny and goofy to work on stage. You know, yeah. very inventive. Yeah. We've got about a minute left. Is there anything else you want to say about next season at Hartford Stage? Uh, you know, we mentioned – Romeo and Juliet mm. and Rear Window. And at the end of the season, we're doing a world premiere of Anastasia and a big musical written by the authors of Ragtime. And we're doing a play called An Opening in Time by Chris Shin, wonderful Connecticut playwright, a play set in Connecticut about a high school production, partially about a high school putting on a production of Rent. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has a local angle. Body of an American by Dan O'Brien, which is kind of our most esoteric um, offering for the year. It's a play that won the first Kennedy Prize for playwriting and having our say. So something for everyone. And will you ever, ever get a week of rest ever? You know, I'm going to try this summer. I'm going to try this summer to take about three weeks off after Kiss Me Kate opens in San Diego. I think uh, we might go to Palm Springs. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a very good idea and a very well-deserved concept. Uh, Darko Tresnik, given how busy you are, thank you for taking an hour out of your life to talk to me. Thank you so much. A G.I. for his cutie pie is not Cause it's too, too, too darn hot It's too darn hot It's too... 